This is Liz Townley, and you're listening to the Custer Gallatin National Forest Planning Podcast. And for our last episode, I'm here in Bozeman, Montana, talking with Mary Erickson, the forest supervisor. So Mary, why don't we get started by you just telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Let's see, I'm currently the forest supervisor on the Custer Gallatin National Forest. I've been here in Bozeman for just about 11 years. I I arrived about this time in December of 2007. I've been with the Forest Service for 35 years, and I started my career with the Forest Service on a forest plan revision team. You did? Yes. Oh, wow. How'd you get into the Forest Service? I actually came out of graduate school as an analyst economist on a forest plan revision team. Oh, wow. And then what'd you do? Then I actually ended up going to an acting district ranger position and a district ranger position. Okay. I was a district ranger in Region 6 in Oregon for 11 years. For 11 years. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what um, life's like in the day of a forest supervisor. Mm, Life in the day of a forest supervisor. It it is probably not quite as glamorous as as it should be or as it might seem. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. Well, the, on the thrilling side of life as a forest supervisor is there's always something new and different. I mean, typically I come in and the most of the day is already booked with, with meetings and calls and things to read and things to be briefed on. Um, but there's always some interesting issue. There's something you didn't anticipate. And there's a lot of chances to meet with people who are interested in the forest. Now, sometimes they have frustrated about or concerned about. Um, and sometimes they really just want to meet with you and tell you why something's important. Yeah. Okay. So as you know, I'm here interviewing your forest planning team about their work and about opportunities for public engagement and public involvement in the forest plan and the upcoming release of your draft plan, right? So can you talk to me a little bit about your experiences in forest planning and you know how this process has evolved throughout your career? Certainly. You know, I, I wondered if it was because I started my career on a forest plan revision team that I've always had such a strong interest in planning, mm-hmm. or if it's just just that it's I see the results of good planning. So I'm a believer in forest plan revision. But I started my career on a forest plan revision team in the 1980s. And I think about it, you know, being a young person coming out of college, coming to work with the Forest Service, very thrilled to work in public lands. And back in the 80s, the plans were very analytically driven, a, a lot of analysis, a lot of focus on um, benchmarks and and maximizing, you know, maximizing wilderness, maximizing timber production, and so that very analytical bent and very output driven. So much of the analysis to me, and of course, I was an analyst economist on a team, but back in the '80s was very much output driven and trying to, to have good information to show what outputs would be produced. When I think about where I was back in the day, and that this was in Southern Oregon, I thought the planning team did really great work, but it felt to me back in that day, there was very little public engagement in forest plans. I can recall back in some of the first public meetings I would go to, and maybe five people would show up. And, and for a million-acre national forest, and fairly narrowly focused in their interests and desires. And then I think about how that changed over my career. I, so I started on a forest plan revision team. I worked as a district ranger for 11 years, I worked as a deputy forest supervisor for a couple years, and then I was a forest supervisor in central Utah on the Fish Lake Forest and started into forest plan revision 
there, combined between the Fish Lake and Dixie. And I think that's probably 20 years after I started, maybe not quite 20 years. And all of a sudden, uh, the conversation around forest plan revision had really matured 20 years later, and a lot of people came to public meetings. And there was a lot more talk about what people valued out of the forest and what they wanted. Probably, as usual, a, a lot of talk about how people perceived conflicts or conflicting uses of the national forest. Um, and we had a very robust uh, collaborative effort in central Utah. And some of the issues were the same and some different than here. But I think about that revision effort was dramatically different than in the 80s in terms of the conversations we had with the public and the focus on uh, on public dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then you come forward to where we're at with forest plan revision on the Custer Gallatin. And I feel like it's, an, it's really another... Uh, step beyond that in terms of how do you really engage people in the development of a forest plan, not just information sessions where we talk at each other, but you really ask people to to dig deep, to reflect on what a plan is and why they value the forest, and often to talk with and acknowledge people and values that are different than theirs. And not just to talk to the Forest Service about that, but we ask them to talk to each other. I don't know that we're always completely successful in having people talk to each other um, and really develop a common understanding, but I think we see some breakthroughs on that. I think we see some, uh, you know, some real progress in that where it's not just the one-dimensional people talking to the Forest Service. And then the other piece for me that I'm pretty excited about in this planning rule is the emphasis on ecological sustainability and, and then the role of science in decision-making. And to me, that's always been in the way we think about forest plans, but I think it's a lot stronger in this new planning process. Yeah. Okay. So you were talking about bringing people to the table mm-hmm. of, of opposite opinions, right? And and having people listen to each other and having us listen to them, us as in the Forest Service. So, so how have you done this this time around? Well, I the way we've designed the process from the very beginning is to ha- to really start with the basic building blocks of plan revision. So the very beginning of the process was um, was more us talking to people about what is a plan, what is plan revision, um, how is a forest plan different than project level planning. So you really have to initially build some level of common understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from that point, uh, we moved into uh, meetings that, I guess I'd bring up two things. One is bringing the meetings out to each of our individual communities rather than asking everyone to come into Bozeman or Billings to really do the road trip, the very time-intensive road journey to get out to the 14 or 15 communities across uh, this forest, which is a pretty widespread forest, a geographically spread out forest. So we brought the conversations to each of the individual communities And then in those conversations, we really mixed it up between providing information and then having back and forth conversations or dialogues. We use the World Cafe technique where you would have people that move from table to table so that they would not necessarily just be sitting with people that they came with, um, but they'd be sitting next to someone else. Um, We asked our forest plan revision team people to be not in teaching mode, but in listening mode at the tables. And we asked people to to react to what they were hearing or seeing and what they wanted. And we asked our team members 
to capture that in the words that people gave us. So I, again, it was it's a, to me it's a, a complex process that starts with providing basic information and then ensuring that all of those public sessions are, are really building on a dialogue where people are um, seeing what they said to us and seeing it captured and then seeing it build one piece at a time. And I don't know if Mariah shared the graphics, but we, she would capture visually the graphics from each of those meetings so that people could see the type of language and the type of values that they talked about, and then they could see those recorded back in the notes in the sessions, and then they could start to see, maybe it's like sausage making, but they could start to see how the plan was taking shape. Yeah, great. <clears throat> so how do you think it's gone so far? I Well... There's clearly been ups and downs. Uh, I have personally loved the part of getting out to the communities across this forest. I think the the communities we have here are pretty diverse. The the makeup of those communities, people's background, the culture, kind of the social uh, fabric of the communities is so different. And that part, for me, was one of the most valuable things to really understand, uh, or. At, at least at as deep a level as you can in a few meetings to recognize what's important in Ecolaca, Montana, and how different that is from what's important in Big Sky or West Yellowstone or Cook City. So the getting out to communities and starting to, after you've been back there two or three or four times, to see people that you you didn't know when you started this process and they're coming back. And I guess one measure of success is that people have come back at each meeting, and they seem to be tracking with the process, and they seem to be very vested in it. So that part's pretty exciting. I think we've gotten some very rich input from people. I think about six or eight months ago, I know I was struggling with whether in the conversations we were having, we were having a lot of conversations around values and maybe not as much conversation around the science that... uh, that is so important to the choices you make on national forests. And then working with the planning team, we held a science symposium up at Big Sky to share with the public, you know, to spend a good share of a day just talking about the science of forest plant revision, whether that's wildlife connectivity or the role of fire or, um, you know, just a, a lot of, uh, well, to cover a variety of topics that are so relevant to plan revision that in a two-hour public meeting you can't get into in any depth. And I think that was really well received. Uh, But the measure, of course, in the long run is as we move from draft to to final to decision, do we bring people along with us and whether people completely agree with the final plan and the decision, do they still remain engaged and invested in the decision we make uh, for the management of the forest and then how the forest gets managed 10 years from now or 20 years from now? Okay, so to that end, the temptation is very real when the document comes out to latch onto one certain alternative. Um, so can you help us understand, um, as the decision maker, how to move beyond just you know raising your hand and staking a vote and, and providing feedback um, that makes a really more robust and comprehensive final document? Well, the the temptation I think is for everyone to feel as if it's a it's a voting 
process, mm-hmm. and that if you if people just weigh in or uh, or show that there's more people in favor of a particular use or a particular strategy, um, that that argument will carry the day. And I think what we've said to people all along is, when you look at the draft document, you're going to see a, a range of alternatives, maybe alternative visions or approaches to how the forest will be would be managed. But we don't expect that the final decision will be any one of those alternatives. We really expect the final decision will be a blended approach of what you see in those alternatives, really blended with uh, what we've heard from the analysis, where we need to tweak the direction to to address some issue, um, where we've heard some maybe some shared values or consensus of approach, and we uh, we decide to to uh, integrate that into the final decision. So it's so important for us when people weigh in not to weigh in specifically on the, the alternative you like or the alternative you don't like, but to go beyond that, to get to the level of detail on why. Uh, why do you care about some part of a particular alternative? Why, why is that important to you? Uh, what, um, what concerns do you have that cause you to weigh in on that alternative? Really, we're looking for that deeper dive into not just the values, but the insights that people have, and some sense of the specifics. Because forest plan revision, it's not a project level document. It doesn't doesn't make any decisions on projects, but it does set the vision and framework for how a forest would be managed over a long period of time. And I guess when I describe it to people, I say it still is essentially about choices. And and when we're talking to people about choices, I want to know more about the whys behind it. Um, What do people see as being at risk between one choice and another? Uh, I see forest plan revision as being uh, choices that do have trade-offs. You can't do everything. You can't provide everything uh, for every use, for every interest. And I think the insights people can bring to that about how they perceive values and how they perceive trade-offs in a very specific way is particularly helpful. Fantastic. So would you say um, that those are the things you consider when making your decision? Or do you have a, a pretty specific list that you might consider? No, I think those, I, I don't have a matrix of decision criteria for this. Because wouldn't that be nice though? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think that is the challenge because it is this blending of social, economic, and environmental issues in plan revision. And there, to me, there isn't one matrix that perfectly tells you how you integrate all of those things. You know, the, I, obviously the basic foundation for forest plan revision has got to be that you believe that you're, you have a, a framework for meeting all the laws and policies and regulations that apply to the national forest. Particularly, you have a framework that provides will provide clean water and clean air and healthy forests and sustainable uses and uh, and address issues around the Endangered Species Act, et cetera. So you've got to have that foundational piece and feel as if the analysis of effects and the science supports that. Now that should be the case in, in throughout the range of alternatives, but you've got to have that piece. And then from there, I think it's around um, what did we hear from people about that sense of place, that sense of community is in what they value? What do we, 
what did those public voices tell us? And not necessarily the loudest voices, but sometimes the trying to listen to all those voices and what are the, there's some very perceptive people out there um, and trying to make sure we're listening to all of them. And then I think in our communities, it's also understanding current and future trends and what's what's most important for this forest uh, based on the trends that we're seeing right now and what we expect to be facing over the next 10, 20 years. And the example you always give is you think about the population and visitation influences around Bozeman and Big Sky and those human use pressures and how you think about that, uh, that's very different than how you think about in eastern Montana when when some of the communities are actually losing population and they don't have the pressures of visitation. And, you know, in eastern Montana, the issues may be much more around protecting traditional livelihoods and sustaining those uses. And then around Bozeman, it may be about how do you balance uh, wildlife connectivity and wildlife migration with just in tremendously increased human pressures and human expectations with uh, fuel treatment or restoration work in the urban interface? And how do you actually integrate all of that in a way that is socially acceptable? Mm-hmm. So okay. what parting thoughts would you leave in the public's mind for understanding this draft document and what life looks like over the next year as the final plan comes out? Well, so as I think about uh, parting thoughts for the public and understanding the draft document, I'd start out with with saying the document itself can be fairly daunting because it seems like just this tremendous amount of information. But to the extent people have the, the fortitude to dig into the draft document, I think it's really helpful for us to, to have people take a look at the science, take a look at the the effects analysis, take a look at the choices that we have across that range of alternatives. You know, one of the most common things we hear from people when they're concerned about the forest, maybe this is true about any national forest, but particularly here where they're seeing a lot of population pressure, is people want to make sure that we sustain what they value, but they also don't want anything to change. But that's not how it works. Um, there's something is always changing. The pressures on the resource are changing. Um, the the climate's changing. The effects of fire is changing. Human development and uses are changing. So I I think as people look at the planning documents, it's really helpful for people to recognize that change is happening all around us. And does this planning document give us enough of a framework um, to to really provide the guidance for how you manage this national forest into the future, given that level of change. And then the last point I always make is we have been very fortunate with the amount of public engagement, people rolling up their sleeves and being involved in this plan revision process. But once plan revision is done, the need for investment in this national forest doesn't go away. In fact, um, we need people desperately to stay invested in the management of the national forest. And when I say invested, I don't mean just money. I mean, we, we need people who are willing to volunteer. We need people who are willing to commit 
their time and energy to advocate for needs. Uh, we need people to stay engaged in project-level decision-making. And we need people who are really wanting to give back of their time and energy to help manage the forest. This concludes our forest planning mini-series. For those that stuck with us, thanks for taking the time to listen and to be informed about the Custer Gallatin National Forest Plan Revision process. I hope you learned a thing or two, and I really hope that you understand your role in all of this a little bit better. If you have a comment on the draft environmental statement, please remember that those comments are due June 6. And refer back to episode one with Virginia Kelly to understand the comment requirements better. And of course, a big old thanks to the Custer Gallatin National Forest for the creativity and vision to try new things.